God is something that we can manufacture on our own. I don't think it's something that I can preach down. I don't think we can sing it down. I don't think it's even, we even have the ability to pray it down, but it's going to be something that God will have to send down to his people. And in one sense, I almost think that God is always sending it down. We just got to make sure that we're underneath it so it'll fall on us. Making sure that we're positioning ourselves in the right place in order to receive that revival from God and to experience the life that Christ wants us to live. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't play our part in God's work. We, we do. I mean, we have a part to play. We have been called to be workers, to be co-workers with Christ, to be the ambassadors of Christ, to do the work that he has called us to do. So, yes, we do have our part to play. But the thing is, we've got to play the proper part. When we play the proper part, I believe, that the life-invigorating spirit of the living God within us would bring us about so much joy, and that would be the source and the gratitude that we would that would drive us to do the things that God has called us to do. Now, one man put it this way. He said, revival cannot be organized, but we can set our sail to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to move on his people. I believe it's something that we must look, look forward to do, is to setting ourselves to catch that wind. But before I believe that we could see a revival, what, we, what God's people must understand and, and, and recognize is that we need to recognize that, you know, we do need it. And maybe we're not exactly where God would have us to be if we do need a revival. But if we're like the children and we're just playing church, we're just doing church out of an obligation or habit or just checking it off the list in order to maintain the operation of an, of an, um, of an institution, as long as we keep our, you know, as, as, if, as, if, if it's no more than just keeping a budget and keeping the, keeping the doors open and having a place to gather on a weekly basis in order to keep the wheels turning, if it's not more than that, that would say that we probably need a revival, a reviving, a refreshing. If we do it completely out of obligation and lacking love for God, you will find that you will become quickly burned out. How many of y'all have ever been burned out on this Jesus stuff? Yeah, I've been there too. It's really difficult. Because in your heart, so bad, you want to please God and you want to do what he's called you to do. Yet we suffer and we struggle with the right motive, and then we tend to fall backwards and fall backwards to the point where we just say, I'm just tired of doing this. And what usually happens is people will quit church altogether, or they'll go find something else more exciting across the street. Now, I would like to say a disclaimer here. You know, I'm not one for jumping ship. I'm not one for church hopping. Okay, I don't think that's always the right answer, but I will put a disclaimer here. We find ourselves to be attending a church that's complacent and is going through the motion, refusing to make any kind of changes, even though they've been brought, brought, brought ahead. I find it hard to fault those who seek somewhere else. I believe you can abandon ship for the right reasons. If it's going down and there's no saving it, it's time to jump ship. But the first thing you need to do is whenever you realize that the ship may be sinking is to do what? What should you grab? A bucket, right? You should grab a bucket. And what the usual excuse is, is, well, that church really wasn't doing a whole lot for me. But the thing, the thing about it is, usually, the same could be said about you. Well, you weren't really doing much for that church either, right? Because church is not about you. It's not about me. It's about serving and worshiping and focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ and living the life that he has put before us. That is what church is about. That's why we are called. So we'll either say, well, church wasn't doing much for me, or we'll actually blame God for it and say, well, God was just leading me away from this. 
So what brings about these actions? What brings about the, the thought process? What brings about this type of behavior? That, what brings about this burnout? I think the burnout is really a misunderstanding about what real Christianity is. We have the wrong expectations about what God has called us to do. And this, this is a mistake to think that the work of the church is fully exhausted in reading our Bible, praying, and church attendance. Don't you think there's more to the Christian way of life than that? Than praying, reading your Bible, and church attendance? Are those things important? Yeah, you better believe they are. But is that all that there is to it? No. That's not all that there is to it at all. But I don't know about you, but it seems that for many years, or the, mo- or the majority of the years of my Christian life, it has been just that. It seems that we're just, I've been members of, of churches, not, not many, but the ones that I have been, it just seems to be a goal to just maintain what is already there, you know, to keep the wheels turning, to keep up the operations of the institution that we call church. As long as we have the doors open, we have a service going, we have the right music, we have, the, we have a speaker who's going to be there behind the pulpit. We have the worship leader in place, we have teachers in place, we have the, super, the Sunday school superintendent. All of those things are in place, the deacons are in place, we have the door greeters. As long as we can keep all of that in motion, then we feel that it's a successful church. But is it more than that? I would just like to ask, I would just like to ask you, I mean, how many of you have ever felt that way before? For how many of you has that been the majority of your Christian life and your, your Christian experience? I can only speak from my own experience on my own, but I want you to understand, I want something different. Is anybody with me on that? Yeah. How many of you want something different? How many of you want something that is real? How many of you want to experience something that is relevant to our community? I want something refreshing. I want a reviving amongst God's people. I want to be, I want to be in a part of a body of Christ where it's just an invigorating experience each time we come together because the Christianity that we live is real. And we really believe that we are in Christ, that we are his representative here today. And what brings us together is the, is, in, in unity is the love that all of us have experienced. It ignites each and every one of us just to show up. Just to be here is an act of love in response to what Christ has done. That we're here not out of obligation, not just because we're here and we're expected to be here, but we want to be here and worship with God's people. We want to take a time to where we can disciple one another and bear each, other, bear each other's burdens, sharpen, sharpen each other in their, in their walk with Christ, to encourage one another when they're down to really be the church of the living God, to, to experience the life that Christ would have his church to live. Is it more than just keeping the operations going? Yes, it, it is. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we see that Israel is in a place where they need a revival. I'm going to tell you, we're probably not going to get there this morning. You will probably be left on the edge of your seats, biting your nails in great anticipation about what I'm going to say next. But we will be here next, next Sunday. But I do want to continue within the message. But I don't want to lose you by talking too long because I really want us to get this. 
To understand the background, before we get to chapter 7, we're backing up to chapter 4. We have the children of Israel. They've, they've been attacked. They've been overcome. They've been defeated by their enemies, the Philistines. This is the enemy of God that has now beaten God's people. They have been defeated. And as a result of the Philistines um, winning that battle, they actually took possession of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark, i.e., the box. Now, the Ark was a chest, it was a box that contained the two tablets of the law that which Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. And also there was Aaron's rod that budded along with a jar of manna within the box. And it was important to the children of Israel that it represented the presence of God with his people. And the box wasn't God, but it simply represented who their God was. It was a box. But as we see, starting in chapter 4, we're going to walk through as we go through this. I want us to see, first of all, Israel's big mistake. Their big mistake, and you can write this down, this, is, this will be a point for you, is believing the box is what made the difference. Okay, trusting in the box over the one that the box represented, which was their God. Trusting in the box was their mistake. First Samuel chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, And the Philistines put themselves in battle, array against, the Is- array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. The first thing that did shock us, this is God's chosen people. This is the nation through whom God is going to bring the Messiah. He, he chose them to be a blessing to all other nations. And now we see the enemies of God defeating God's people. Has God left them or have, has God forsaken them? What has happened here? Now, God has promised that to never leave nor forsake. So what has happened? I believe that we do have a God that will never leave us and nor forsake us. But we as a people too often will turn our back on God and leave and forsake him and to worship things of this world. And that's exactly what had happened. They're in a situation where, where Eli, his, who's a high priest, and his children have gone completely mad, leading the people astray. They're misusing the things within the temple. They're taking more than their portion of meat of the sacrifice, not burning the fat like they're supposed to, but taking the meat raw, and all of these things are different things that they are, they're, they're misusing about their position. They're even going, they're going as far as sleeping with the women that come to the tabernacle. It's all in there, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And they've also, according to chapter 7, as it will be revealed later, that they have already, they have turned to idols and idol worship, worshiping Ashtaroths and, and the God of Baal. So why do we see God's people defeated? Well, first of all, they turned their back on God and they walked away. Not that God's grace isn't sufficient, not that God's mercy isn't available for them, but they've simply walked away from it. When you remove yourself from God's presence, you can't expect the victories that God offers. You can't expect the provisions that he's willing to offer, and you can't expect the grace and the mercy to be found there. You find grace and mercy when you approach the throne of grace, and you'll find mercy, and, you'll fi- and, and you will obtain grace, but you won't, you won't find it when you're running away from the throne. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 2, we see that Israel has been defeated because they have turned from God and they've worshipped idols. In verse 3, as we continue, actually, let's finish up verse 2. It said they were defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of their men in the army in the field. In verse 3, it says, when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? They're pondering the question themselves. Are they not? Why are we so defeated? We are God's people, and why has God defeated us? So who are they blaming? They're blaming God for defeating them. Notice they're not looking at themselves or the behavior or looking at their priests who are leading, but they're saying, why has God done this to us? It says, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us And when it comes among us, it will save us from the hand of our enemies. So they're putting a lot of weight on this Ark of the Covenant, the box, aren't they? Now, it is in their possession at this time. Did they just move it? They take it, it's in Shiloh. And they say, well, let's move the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh. Let's bring it down to here. And whenever we bring the box here, when we get all the parts and the pieces in place and in order, then that will save us in our current condition. That'll save us from the hand of our enemies. And in verse, in verse 4, it says, So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, They were there with the Ark of the Covenant. Look at the reaction of the people when they bring the box. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now you have have the people of God here. They've been defeated by the enemy. And they're looking around and saying, why has God done this to us? Why has God defeated us here? I know We need to get the proper pieces in order. Let's get everything assembled the way it's supposed to be. Bring the box down here, and that box will save us from our enemies. And they were so so confident in the fact of bringing the Ark of the Covenant down to where they are now that that would give them a victory. And I'm going to tell you, they were excited. They were getting the shouts of hallelujah and amen and glory, and the won't he do it? Why? Why? Because they got the box. They got all their pieces in order. They'd organized their, their efforts. They'd put everything in place. They had their preacher, their worship leader, their order of service, their services, their time, their calendar, everything lined up. And this brought about a victory chant that actually shook the ground. There's only two other places where that is mentioned. That's in Jericho whenever the walls came down and also in Psalm 95 where they talk about worship. but that also got them some attention. In verse 6, it says, Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does this sound mean of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? What does that mean? What's going on over there? And then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Now, why is that important to them? And so the Philistines were afraid. We'll also have you understand, maybe because of the lifestyle of the Israelites, even the people of the world were mistaken that the box 
makes the difference. Why were they afraid? <laughs> because of that box had come down there. Now the box is with the people that they want to make battle with. It is in their section of the, of the area. And now the Philistines are afraid that they have the box. And the Israelites are confident. Why? Because they have the box. But does that stave off the Philistines? Actually, no. They actually dig their heels in. And you see this go get them speech here. So, so the Philistines were afraid for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. So they dig their heels in in verse 9. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become the servants of the Hebrews like they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. I want, you, I want us to also have an understanding. Anytime that you're willing to conduct yourself like a man and stand before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, you will lose. You will lose every single time. Nobody is victorious over God, period. So what happens? Surely Israel is going to get the victory. In verse 10, it says, so the Philistines fought. And what do we see? Israel is defeated. Not only is Israel defeated, but every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter. There fell of 30 thousand foot soldiers so now they are at a loss of 4,000 in the first battle now they are at a loss of 30,000 giving a grand total of 34,000 men slaughtered why because just because you have the box doesn't mean that God has your heart if God doesn't have your heart you probably find yourself in a position where God is not at work the big mistake that they made is believing that the box is what made the difference, and it wasn't about the God of the box. Israel is in a condition where they are worshiping idols. Their priests are sleeping with women and stealing the, the, the sacrifices that people are bringing. They're living a life of sin before God. They have turned their back on him. Just having the box is not what God wanted. Just bringing the box down is not bringing God's presence. It's not, it's, not, it's, it's not bringing God's presence to you. And just having the box, having the pieces in place does not mean that God does not have your heart. They had not come to a point where they had brought themselves back to God's presence, but yet they thought they could manufacture it by bringing the box. And they were fully confident in what they thought. Fully confident in the fact that they were going to be victorious now because of why? Because they got the box. I want us to understand, folks, the Christian way of life is so much more than the box. So much more. It's so much more than the buildings and the programs and the Bible studies. It's so much more than just church attendance and prayer alone so much more I want us to understand that we can we can show up for attendance we can read our Bible but if you don't have but if God doesn't have your heart it's all for nothing if it's not about him 
It's not about Christ and Him crucified and Him living His life in and through you on a day-to-day basis. You're just carrying around the box. It's something much more, something much deeper. It's about how it's about knowing who you are in Christ and allowing Him to live His life through you. You are no longer yourselves, but you've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Why? Because you're in Christ. It's so much more. It's so much more than just going through the motions. It's actually hearing the music and bobbing and snapping when you hear the music. As I said, we won't, we won't have, we don't, we're out of time. We won't have time to get through the rest of this. But next week, we're going to go in and see what the resolution of this is. We still have some of the results from the, from the defeat. They've still, they're still going to have to go through some, through some really tough things that actually happen. And before that happens, we get to chapter 7 where we see the resolve of this. We find the solution there. And I would beg you to come back next week to get that. But also during this time of invitation, I want us to take a moment and to really ask ourselves a question, am I just playing church? As our musicians come forward, let's ask ourselves as a church, are we, are we playing church? Are we going through the motions? Or is what we truly do all about our love for God and what Christ has done in us and through us? If you would like to pray this morning concerning that, the altars are open. I'll be glad to pray with you. But something in addition to what I would also like to to add to the invitation this morning is that the president has also made this a national day of prayer concerning the pandemic and the coronavirus. And, you know, if it's, if it's a big problem, if it's a perceived problem and not really as big as it is, if it is as big as it is, it's still a problem. And, it, and our president has asked us to, to pray about this and to make this a national day of prayer. And I would, I would encourage each one of you to pray about it. And to, and to seek God's, God's, God's wisdom and what our place is in this and how that we're supposed to handle what is before us. But, mo- but mainly what we need to pray is that we will rest in God knowing that he is God and follow his leadership through whatever he has for us.